0: Welcome, welcome my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Uh, Today I'm so happy you're going to hear me speak with Mara Jill Herman. Mara Jill Herman is a brilliant actress, a performer, and a technology professional. And she does them both equally with a lot of passion and compassion, which I think is really fun and extraordinary, and you're going to hear more about it when we speak, Um, besides having been in lots of theatrical productions and traveled literally all over the world doing theater and live performance, she also was an Apple genius. So right now, um, when there's been a lot less theater available, she's been working with her company Technotherapy, which you can find at www.technotherapynyc.com and she helps people deal with technological issues. Uh, She's also very involved in the Ahava Theater Company. She's gonna talk more about that, but the Ahava Theater Company, A-H-A-V-A, doing a lot of educational work there with them. So I know you're gonna find this to be a fascinating interview. I know that if you grab Uh, abe's muffins you're going to put them in your mouth and go oh my god these are even better than eric said they can't be allergen free but they are so if you want to leave me messages about abe's muffins or about this show go to is that really legal.com and do that but for now why don't you hear my interview with Marigel Herman? Marijal Herman, thank you for being on. Is that really legal with Eric Rubin.
1: It's so nice to see you, Eric. Thanks for having me here.
0: Yeah, I'll probably say in the introduction that I've actually known you for quite some time, but not closely. We met at, I believe, uh, the Actors Union for Stage, which is Equity. They have a major auditioning space in right off of Times Square. And I think we met there. Is that accurate?
1: That sounds very accurate. We met through the audition circuit and I believe we figured out we had the good golds in common.
0: Yeah. Who are very good people to have in common. And actually I should have them on this show as well because yes. they're both crazy, lovely people and brilliantly talented, much like yourself. Aww. Um, no, you, you started out like me in Long Island.
1: Yes. Well, originally Upper West Side, born uh, born in the city, and then we moved to Long Island when I was six. So I have that special blend of urban suburbanite where I thrive running around the city and also know how to drive a car. <laughs> so got both things going.
0: You know, uh, those of us who grew up on Long Island, uh, if we were at all interested in anything arts related, we felt really lucky to just be able to jump on a train and be in the city in either half an hour, an hour, depending on where you lived. But did you take it? Was that part of your growing up on the island?
1: Oh, 100 percent. First of all, I have a family and parents who are patrons of the arts and loved everything about theater so i got to immerse myself in great training and community theater as a kid but then was also raised on a steady diet of broadway shows and going to museums and the ballet so uh culture was very important to my family and yeah it was a 40-minute train ride into penn station and uh was always was always riding that (laughs) l-i-r-r (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, we grew up on different lines, but I totally know what you're talking about. I actually, in college, dated someone who grew up in your neck of the woods. Um, funny. So, yeah. So I'm familiar with Shelter Rock Road and yep. you know stuff wow. like that. Well, I, I know things. Uh, not always uh, as Good much memory. as I pretend, but oh, God. Um, and of course, Broadway shows. And I don't know if you ever went to the Westbury Music Theater. Or yes. music fair
1: What did we see there? Um, something tells me I saw a tour of My Fair Lady there. I think I also saw Britney Spears and Sync there. <laughs> Good That's nice. wild.
0: Well, it's such a really, in my memory as a kid, it was where I first saw live theater mm-hmm. and I saw Promises Promises. Mm-hmm. And I saw Milk and Honey. There. Ooh, yeah. Now, you know, you and I both grew up Jewish in Long Island, and that is a a subset because it's my experience where I grew up was you're either Italian or you were Jewish. And the big difference was pretty much food mm. and the different dates of when you went to services. But other than that, it was very similar. Um, but we yeah. the but, but Milk and Honey is a show that never gets done anymore. I haven't seen it. But i grew up with lots of great cast recordings did you have a lot of that in your house too a lot of cast recordings and shows
1: oh yeah and the movie musicals sound of music and west side story and um speaking of milk and honey you know i had the great privilege of going to french woods festival summer arts camp that's where i met shauna good gold and um we did jerry's girls there so i know a lot of the songs from milk and honey because it's a review of jerry herman's music who is not my uncle but i like to pretend that he is
0: (laughs) might get you into a couple of cocktail parties i know i should
1: just stop revealing the truth and pretend
0: (laughs) now you ultimately uh left long island to pursue an arts education. I also, this is very interesting. You and I have kind of a, not completely similar, and there is an age difference between us, which I will not reveal, but I am significantly older than you. Significantly older than most people alive, but specifically you. And you ended up in Philly for a while, right? Yeah. And I loved Philadelphia when I lived there. You went to the you see how I'm doing this all by memory? That's actually impressive. Unbelievable. Um, So you went to uh, the school that's on Broad Street, if I remember correctly. Um, Is it the School of the Arts? Is that what that's called?
1: You're so good. I went to University of the Arts in Center City, Philadelphia. And, you know, it was such a gift going there because I didn't really know how rich with culture Philly was until I ended up there. and. All of my teachers who were, you know, offering these classes in music theory and script analysis and theater history were also working down the street at all the professional theaters. So there was this uh, leading by example happening for me while I was in undergrad that you could be an educator and an arts professional at the same time, whether that meant you were a music director, a, a a vocal coach, uh, a composer, a director, an actor, and simultaneously finding space in your schedule to teach the next generation and enrich young minds. So I had a lot of great great examples in my faculty there, and also had the opportunity to get involved in a bunch of productions in uh, in Philly.
0: Yeah, people don't realize, well, first of all, just a bit of trivia. Is this coming through? I can't really hear myself. So
1: yeah, I hear you fine.
0: Okay, great. So in um, Philadelphia and New York are the only two cities in America that each have over a million people in population and are within a hundred miles of each other. Huh. And so people think, well, New York is where the theater is. But as you obviously know, and just told everybody, there are some great actual great theaters in Philly. I'm thinking of like what, Walnut. Is it Walnut or Chestnut? I get right, confused. 8th Street. Um and lot besides traveling companies, there really actually were things that started out there, productions that started out there with top name people that would ultimately end up in on Broadway, either with that show or somewhere else. Um and um yeah there was obviously a lot of television Philly is a very beautiful place to shoot things, either movies or TV. Um
1: yeah. Sixth so it's filmed there.
0: Right. I mean, M Night is a Philly guy. So mm-hmm. all of his stuff sort of starts there or
1: mm-hmm.
0: um yeah. So did you and you had a chance to visit New York on a regular basis, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, it was so easy to get on a train or a bus and go home for. Jewish holidays or school break. And uh, I spent only the summer after college in Philly for a couple of reasons. I had other summer stock opportunities in different cities prior to that last summer. But um, yeah, that last summer I was really considering maybe I want to stay in Philly and, uh, you know, build my, my theatrical career here. And I, I remember understudying at Walnut and Philadelphia Theater Company and doing a reading at Prince Music Theater. And I did a production in the Philly Fringe. And so there were just so many great outlets for what I was doing and what I love to do, which is musical theater. And uh, a lot of my peers actually have stayed there and formulated incredible careers for themselves. So there's, there's great opportunity there.
0: When I started living in Philly, I lived in an old iron foundry called The Castings that was uh, between Arch and Race and between like second and third on a little street called Bread Street, which is where Betsy Ross's house is. Wow! And we went down there. I was in a different relationship and we went down there and the price was ridiculous compared to New York. Oh, and yeah. the views were beautiful and what you got. And we were like, this is like living in Soho at a fraction of the price. But, so- the, but then the bottom fell out of the market. Everybody was, <laughs> it was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Since since then, Philly, I've been back a few times because I have friends and do things. Mm-hmm. And Philly has like such a great food scene and they still mm-hmm. have theater. And I know you're not there anymore. I'm going to get to it in a second. But Philly has a real... Um, a life to it right now that uh I'm happy for them because there was a while when you know it was just crack was everywhere
1: oh, <laughs> and wow. and it was
0: really insane. I mean wow. I bought I bought my first house very close to West Philadelphia. Okay. And you know things got broken into and it was yeah. a little sketchy. Um, and... Yeah. But anyway, things are better now, thank goodness. Um but you didn't stay in Philly. So what was so next for you?
1: Yeah, I remember I was working three jobs as you do when you're 22 years old. And I was working at the museum, the Please Touch Museum. I was working at Kenneth Cole and I was understudying at Walnut. And then after my production finish, it was side by side by Sondheim. Awesome. I was up for... walnuts man of la mancha and i did not get it and so that was the catalyst for me to go back home to new york um i i just felt ready to pound the pavement as we say in the biz and because i'm a native new yorker it happens to coincide with the city that you know has all this opportunity in theater and so I was coming back home to a support system of friends and family that made that transition quite feasible uh, for, you know, this, this uh, early, this early stage of my auditioning life.
0: (laughs) You know, I've been in Los Angeles a bunch and New York a bunch. And I think they're very, two very different cities with two Mm -hmm. very different kinds of ways to act. And who can, who can act in places. There are, you know, my experience of LA was they weren't interested in my acting. Did I have the right look or not? And I had to drive. If you got two auditions a day, you were lucky because the driving between them took up so much time. My experience in New York And by the way, I'm not crapping on LA. There's a lot that's great about LA. Don't hate me. If you do have something to say, feel free to write me at isthatreallylegal.com. Go to the website, leave me a message about how I'm wrong or how I'm right. I don't care. But in New York, I have had a very different experience where you could have, especially during what I'll call audition season, which like in the spring is people are really getting ready for summer stock and traveling companies and other things by the way, this is from my memory, I haven't done these auditions in a long time, but I could go to five auditions uh-huh. a day, um, especially for me as a guy in a certain <laughs> really? age range. And I could do three of them at the equity center. And then I could jump yes. on a train and be at another one downtown and jump on a train, and be at another one uptown. And it would all happen, especially because I was in the union. So I could sign up for things and it wasn't, Uh, hopeful it would actually happen um so it's a different existence uh and i could see the draw of new york for you obviously having been there and so you and i actually now this comes to we met each other at least 10 years ago probably more Mm -hmm. probably 15 uh and um, at that equity center, it's since been redone. I think I went in there for some reason. I was like, wow, this is really nice. It wasn't this nice when I was auditioning. Um, and it's an interesting experience for people who haven't had it. You could be the best person in your high school productions, let's say. And you think, I'm going to go to New York. And then you're out there sitting, waiting for an audition. And I don't care how good the acoustics are. You still hear everybody auditioning. Of oh, course. And, and you hear people hit notes and you're like, oh, no, this is like, this is New York, like, Mm -hmm. people come here, they're not screwing around, like, you got to be good. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I that's, how have you? What was that experience like for you? Because for me, it was both exciting and terrifying. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's all I have to say for myself. But what about you? And especially, and I do want to talk a little bit about this, being a woman in show business, which has a history of being really difficult for a Mm -hmm. variety of reasons, and more stuff comes to light every day.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, I'm not gonna ask you to bare your soul, but if you wanna talk about things, that's fine. I've had people basically tell me the horror stories. Mm -hmm. I've even had a great journalist on Kim Masters, who has a show, uh, she's a a reporter with The Hollywood Reporter. Maybe she's an editor. talks about all the me too stuff and I just Mm. don't I don't know if you've been lucky if you've been unlucky now that I've set that whole thing up do you what do you want to say about any of that of
1: course I want to speak to the first part first because you're sending me on this very early chapter memory lane that keeps reminding me of my dear friend Shauna because uh for listeners who may not know about joining our union. When I was uh, first emerging, we had this program called the Equity Membership Candidacy Program, which still exists, just your entry is a little bit different than it was at my the time that I entered. And you needed to get 50 points to become a full union member. So I graduated with 47 because of the work that I did at regional theaters every summer leading up to that point. But 47 is not 50. So I was still non-equity. But the and way just so we- people
0: are clear, that means that you don't automatically get to sign up for all these jobs. You have to wait.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: there's a lot right. of, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, just in case you weren't going to hit that, there's real
1: Great.
0: practical ramifications to that. But anyway, sorry.
1: Right. So at these auditions that Eric and I would find each other at the equity or actors equity members would get first dibs then the next list would be for emc equity membership candidates like myself and shauna and i would always laugh because it would always be between one of us we were number one and two who got there at 6.30 and who got there at 6.32 and that would determine where we were and this is am by the way you know we had to get there so so early in the morning to put ourselves in these lists sometimes earlier than that to have a chance at being seen with no guarantee and then after that the um after the emcs then the monitors running the auditions would make a decision about non-equity And so there was this order of operations that we were, um, you know, subscribing to in order to get seen by professional theaters through the New York audition machine. (laughs) And I really wanted it so badly. And I went to as many things as I could, typically in the morning because I was babysitting at the time. So the way I negotiated supporting myself and auditioning was I would audition in the morning and then pick my kiddos up at the playground around 2 30 2 45 and help them out with, you know, homework, dinner, bath time, go to sleep, rinse, repeat, you know, do it all over again. Right. And I did that for a long time. And so my My early career was babysit, get a show, leave, babysit, get a show, leave, babysit, get a show, leave. And the reason I say that is a lot of the things you audition for in New York take you all the way around the world or all the way around the country, but they don't always happen in New York. And it wasn't for lack of trying. I was getting Broadway auditions and getting callbacks, so it definitely wasn't for lack of trying. But when you're young and you want to go where the work is, that was what felt necessary. And I'm grateful for that chapter because I I did that.
0: You know, it seemed to me you and I have talked about this, that you also use that as a way to have fun while working. I know for instance you did a cruise ship tour. Can I you tell. believe I remember this? And um You're amazing. <laughs> I, I I don't know how, uh I I it sounded like fun to me because I had actually been on a cruise just as a a guest or you know a a paying guest and I thought wow that must be fun you do a show and then you get on the islands or wherever but it may not always be fun and I don't know the inner workings of that was that a did you do how how many of those did you do and what was that Mm -hmm. like
1: yeah the first big break if you will was the North American tour of Jesus Christ Superstar which I did 90 cities in five months in the us and canada so that was a nutso schedule but i did it when i was 24 so i was thrilled to do it and see all these great cities in our country and also not so great cities let's be real Uh, but you know but performing in beautiful touring houses singing an amazing score making some real significant relationships. And to your other point about what can be difficult in um, our business is that tour is a bubble. So you're stuck with the people that you're working with. So there's no separation between, you know, your there's hardly any separation between your personal life and your work life. So not having that breathing room, Can be challenging until you find your people and you know, and you know who you want to spend your non-show hours with because you're traveling on the same tour bus, then you're checking into the same hotel, then you're going to sound check, then you're going to the show in half hour, then you do the show, and then you decompress from the show, and then you go to the next city. And that's with the same people.
0: Right. How often would you stay in one city?
1: Well, this was uh, before I joined the union. So this was um, non-equity. We did one to three nights on average in a city. And then I think the biggest gift was staying in a place for a week.
0: I, I we hear all went, you.
1: Hallelujah, a week. <laughs> we don't have to go anywhere for a week, oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the big things, you're mentioning the difference between a union and a non-union gig, whether it's tour or other things. You know, when I did commercials and film stuff, before I was in that union, sag After, I mean, they would pay you with pizza. And you would sit around in a cold warehouse and, like, pray for a bathroom that you didn't have to walk a mile to. Then once you're in the union, it's like, they give you food. They, like, Mm -hmm. have to break at certain levels of hours. So I, it's the same for theatrical union stuff, you know, having been in both union and non-union theater stuff, it's amazing to be like, oh, we're taking a break. Like, they can only work us so many hours before we get to eat. And, like, all of that sort of stuff, which is just, you know, basic, I think of it basic human decency, yeah. not to cast aspersions on non-union producers, but yeah. they, to, to give them the benefit of the doubt, they have budgets. Right. and have agreements they have to keep
2: mm-hmm. and
0: kind of the last people they care about on the whole ledger are the actors and actresses mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> you're making yeah. a
0: face like yeah now that can make it really hard when you're like mm-hmm. i just i just need 20 minutes of silence
1: you're mm-hmm. not going to get
0: it today you're just mm-hmm. not going to get it today uh is that kind of part of the deal in your experience
1: yeah and when i think about that particular company, I'm thankful that at least two people come to mind that I'm still friendly with. So you can create these incredible bonds or find yourselves after the show having these new new relationships that are born in a different environment uh, where you're not on top of each other all the time. And yeah, I'm really thankful for those those few friends who I held on to from that experience. And after that, I did do, like you mentioned, the cruise ship. I worked for Holland America Cruise Line. And that was a fun experience too, because, you know, I was getting paid to sing and travel. And to be honest with you, I felt like a professional tourist who occasionally entertained some crowds because I, um, Got to see incredible sights. First we went to Bermuda and then South America and Antarctica.
0: Wow. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it was great.
0: I've been to Bermuda. I was like, that's fine. That's but, you know, right. but look, also, I wasn't on a cruise ship.
2: Mm-hmm. No, that's
0: that's actually a lie. I was on a cruise ship. Oh but okay. I was in a I was in a crummy relationship at the time. So <laughs> maybe that's why I didn't have as much fun. Yeah. And I'm not that big a golfer. So like People really love to golf on those things too. Um, did you but uh, did you ever have hassles just being a woman on tour? Or did you kind of yeah, your you're doing? We don't have to talk about it, but you know, I one of the reasons on this show on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin, I made a decision early to have as many women on, as many mm-hmm. people of color, as many LGBTQ people just don't get to talk. And I've learned a lot, especially these last couple of years. Um, Even though I've been a lawyer a long time, I've been a human a long time, there are things that I was just completely unaware of because I'm a guy or I'm a white guy. Even though I'm Jewish, Mm -hmm. people consider me a white guy. Now you're Jewish. And I think that you and I don't necessarily consider ourselves white because there's a whole other layer of stuff. Maybe I'm wrong. Ooh, but, juicy!
1: Uh... I love that, you said <laughs> that, and I I definitely want to dive into that. But I'll answer your first question. I dealt with a vicious love triangle on one of my touring experiences, mm-hmm. and uh, both of them remain in the business. So I'll just leave names out for that reason. Uh, but it was very troubling because i was living this duality of of having some of the highest highs of my early career seeing the sites incredible theaters sold out houses living the dream and then my personal life often created a lot of anguish and part of the problem was the the male involved was in a position of management. So it was easy to convince a young 20 something that our relationship had to be a secret. And I fell for it because I was young and I liked the attention and I thought I could trust this person. And, um, you know, I've come to learn in working in other scenarios over time that, mature consenting adults speak about <laughs> when they have mutual feelings for each other, and then they tell the powers that be that they want to be together and then it's fine. <laughs> right. So I I just I really I learned a lot from that time. and I'm stronger for it now.
0: Well. I'm glad to hear that. that that's cool. I did open that the Jewish door, which Mm -hmm. is also a big part. I I know it just—it's a big part of your life, and the reason I know that is you and I have talked about when you did Birthright, Um, and I was fascinated by that and a little disappointed that I was too old to do it. (laughs) But um, so for people who don't even know what that means, can you explain what Birthright is?
1: Oh yeah, so this is an organization that believes that every Jewish person who so desires should get a free trip to Israel because it is their birthright and so through a very basic application process I think it's written and a a short phone conversation the team gets to know you and why you want to travel to Israel and I did that probably the first my second summer out of college so again in this early phase of of auditioning and building up my resume and, and wanting to travel and see the world, it only made sense that I would take advantage of this great opportunity to connect with my Jewish roots.
0: You know, it's funny, every Jewish person I talk to, uh, even though there are, for the average human being who's not Jewish, you could break down Jewish people to three major, you know, the Orthodox, conservative and reform, it's reformed not reformed people who used to drink and don't drink anymore are reformed that's <laughs> not but um but the truth is in my experience for myself and other people it's like there's a million different types of Judaism and that like I don't I don't consider myself Jewish but I'm so Jewish <laughs> and I, so you know, interesting. I, like I don't go to temple I don't pray I don't do the I don't observe the holidays, but the last thing I did was I got hamantash at the forum from this amazing French bakery in my neighborhood because it's an amazing French bakery and the hamantash and were like fantastic. And my shiksa goddess wife loves them. So I get them there. But I,
2: amazing.
0: But like I can't tell anyone, well, I'm not Jewish because it's just so obvious in a million ways that I am in mm-hmm. terms of culture, humor, music. Oh. Uh, sensibilities and my strange relationship to Israel just mm-hmm. mine personally which is like I wish they didn't do certain things
2: mm. so
0: I sometimes might even criticize certain things but if I hear a non-jewish person criticize Israel it makes me crazy wow. <laughs> So like I mean there's a it's a lot going on in here yeah all from a person who would say well I'm not really that Jewish but it's just fine so uh, I, I do you find you have anything similar to that going on or do you have a really clear identity about your Jewishness?
1: Interesting question. Thank you for saying that. I do feel like I'm pretty Jewish in the sense that we have strong cultural ties. We do observe the high holidays as a family. And when I say that, I mean Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Passover, I'll throw Hanukkah in there. Uh, These are moments where we get together as a, as an extended family. And we, you know, either, I wouldn't say that I go to temple all that often, but on certain days of the year, I make it a priority. And similar to you, I don't know that I pray all that much. So I'm always kind of figuring out what my relationship is to God, but. the, the unity and the togetherness and the sense of identity is really what I cling to as a Jewish person.
0: I, I feel like you also, I don't know why, but I feel like it comes through your work and your art. And I know you're, well, that's a good segue to what you're up to now, but I mean, you know, i cast you in Fiddler. i cast you in, you know, um, uh, by the way, for people who don't know this, I I had a love-hate relationship with that show. You know, oh, I'd yeah. heard it a million times, saw it a million times before I was 13. And then as a waiter in a catering hall, I can't mm. tell you how many times I heard Sunrise Sunset during a bar mitzvah. <laughs> so oh, I was God. like, oh, I can't. Uh. Or weddings. So I was like,
1: oh,
0: no. My of Great Neck, by the way. Which oh, I know yeah, you know.
1: sure. I went to all the bar mitzvahs there.
0: Sure. So then my beautiful Shiksa wife from San Francisco went to Berkeley, you know, very okay, different okay. upbringing. Uh-huh. She's like, we're going to the Broadway production that was fairly recent with uh, Daniel Bornstein as Tabby. Yeah,
2: uh-huh.
0: And I was like, oh, do we have to see this? I, I could, I could do the show for you. She's oh, like, we're gosh. going. I go. And I was blown away by how beautiful yeah. that show was. A, yeah. com- a completely redone, but not not like you know they're not like doing Shakespeare like uh with fascist Italy or something. You know, it was like it was the real show, but uh-huh. but the dance numbers and the dream sequence and I mm-hmm. fell in love with the show. I'm I it just completely trashed my prejudices. Mm. Um, so uh, fascinating.
2: I love that.
0: Yeah, I. Don't know why I said well, that I'm, too, but yeah, there you go. There's more than you one on show. Yeah, go ahead.
1: There, there are yeah, there are plenty. Um, there should there could always be more. Um, but I'm going to put you on the spot. How would you cast me in Fiddler?
0: Well, honestly, I think the oldest daughter,
1: Seidel. Oh, I love that you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, you're not listen you're up. Not old listen up, Eric Rubin <laughs> wants a. Upcoming production of Fiddler with MJH as Seidel. You heard it here.
0: Yeah, well, all the power that I have in the industry, it's a done yeah. deal. Let me tell you, the phone, you're going to be getting a phone call. Uh, yeah, all right. We well, you know, Bette Midler, everybody knows, got her start in that show, right?
1: Thank you, right? I would love to play Seidel. And for years, I chased Huddle. <laughs> Far From Home I Love is a song I sang in voice lessons since I was probably eight years old or 10 years old. And one of the, I know the show Inside and Out, I did it a couple of times in community theater, never professionally, which might surprise you. And again, this is a not for lack of trying moment where things that seem so obvious to outsiders or um, let's call them civilians, they look at me and they might say, of course you should be an X, Y, Z, but then in the internal workings of the productions that I auditioned for. It just never worked out for whatever reason. And I've also, one of the other questions you asked before about um, having any issues come up as a woman in show business, you know, I felt like I was incredibly fortunate to do about one to three shows a year as a non-equity person. And then I joined the union when I was 26 and that number dipped significantly. And of course it has to do with the fact that I placed myself in New York, which is a highly competitive market, but also when I started to get involved and go to equity meetings and listen to statistics, I learned that a lot of the equity contracts were going to white men. And the cheaper labor equivalent of someone like me was often going to what we call a local hire, who was somebody from a regional market who lived where that production was taking place. And so they didn't have to fly or house me. And um, this this is something that had happened to me at least a few times in my career, so I know from from attending these meetings and hearing about the statistics, but also being on the receiving end of this information when I was up for something and didn't get it. Here's why.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally, uh, I totally get it. Um, that happened um, in film work. I was a regional hire, or up for regional hire things in film works, film work stuff. I, I wasn't in goodwill hunting. Uh, except as a background actor. it oh, shows my that age. Movie. But I was a background actor in a couple of scenes. But I was up for the role of the professor's assistant. For those of you who didn't see The Goodwill Hunting, no spoiler alerts, that thing's been out forever. Deal with it. <laughs> so the MIT professor who's played by this amazing Swedish actor, I forget his name. I think he's Swedish. Yeah. Um, he has an assistant who has a few lines and some interactions and things. And uh-huh. he got played by someone I never met. I don't know, but he was a Boston guy. I was living in Boston at the time. So I was up for that. In the same way, I was up for something in um, Mystic River. Uh, Clint Eastwood movie. Really. Oh, yeah. Um, I love I, that. Yeah, I was up for the, uh, who, what do you call the guys who take care of the dead bodies? Not a mortician, but the examiner, whatever. Okay. Um, uh-huh. But like everyone in there is Irish. And I stuck out, like I'd like to think it's because I stuck out like a big Jewish thumb. Like I would not know those guys. We just not, I didn't, I'm not from that part of Boston. I would be yeah. a different part. So it just didn't work, those kind of things. But yeah, they always hire, they're not gonna, for that level, they weren't gonna bring in somebody, but it's, a, it's even more difficult for, what you're talking about is this incredible bias. First of all, the roles for women just are, continue to not exist. Uh, and all across the board, it's changing. I know it's changing. But even like broadway directors you know we have a couple of them who are women but not a ton and the shows right. you know you see a show like the women which is a it's a kind of dated show and there you're going to cast like 12 great women in a show but short of that you know mm-hmm. it's really like I'm, I'm hard-pressed to think about it so i i get those equity meetings are important. I'm glad that you and other people attend them, and hopefully we have a voice. By the way, just as an aside, it must be crazy. Broadway right now, we both know people who made it. Like I, I know people that I did shows with other equity shows regionally. They've been in Broadway shows. They're like, well, I've made it. This is my life. And then it gets closed. And, mm.
2: and
0: walking around New York right now, honestly, it's depressing. I mean, Broadway being Mm closed is insane. Um, What's that like? What's that like for you?
1: Well, we just hit the year mark of Broadway being closed. I could tell you every single thing I did that week. (laughs) So strange to have to go through this collective trauma as a city, as a community of artists. And so what this time, for context, I was teaching and performing full-time up until March 13th, 2020 and teaching kids about musical theater and movement in the public school system through a couple of companies that I contract with and performing with America's Sweethearts, which is an Andrew sister style group. And we do tight harmony and travel in trios and entertain people all over the country. Definitely. big hit with the war veterans because uh there's the uh nostalgic world war ii uh, theme with the american songbook that our group tends to perform but also we we do branch out into other decades like 50s and 60s and we had a residency in midtown so I did about one to three shows a month with the sweethearts. And so I had this regular outlet for live performance and always something to invite people to, which was beautiful. And losing that and losing the ability to see my students in person has been so hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Neither experience immediately transitioned to the digital landscape, like If I worked in a corporate office and instead of going to work at my office, I transitioned to my home office, which is, you know, the breakfast nook or your bedroom or whatever. Yeah, that's my
0: experience. Whatever
1: room works for you, right? So My,
0: My law office is now in my home. I mean, I have an address, but I'm not going there.
1: Right. So... I finally, throughout the pandemic, had a couple of freelance moments where I could teach remotely and um, get back to doing what I was doing, at least in the facilitation or education uh, arena, I guess. And I am teaching right now. I um, am teaching digital photography, which is a first for me. And this opportunity came about and because I have a background from a film program in high school and I worked at Apple at the Genius Bar, it just seemed like a good fit for me to be able to discuss, you know, how, how do we see the world and how do we do that through the lens of an iPhone? And so it made sense for me to to teach this curriculum, even though it's the first time I've ever had the opportunity to.
0: God, I think I would love for you to be my genius if I came in and like (laughs) my phone or my, I mean, I'm an all Apple person. And Uh um, it's like my things are not working. Like you are a very calm person in my experience, um, at least around other people. And, you know, hanging out around a bunch of auditioning actors, you either develop that calm or you lose your mind. Right. Uh, I think. So you really okay. did develop that and you have a very strong sense of yourself, but you also are able to bring that. So I, I bet you were really excellent at that. But I... I well, thank I, you. So is that the only thing you're, you're teaching right now, the digital photography?
1: Well, uh, a couple of things happened during the pandemic. I found that the constraint of live auditions going away really helped me find collaborators. and my mom is a writer. So she immediately started writing musical parodies. And I took them, interpreted them and recorded them. And each parody video that we made grew and grew and grew into a more extensive music video. (laughs) So we created four music video parodies last year. And This wasn't the first time I had made a parody video. It's just the first time that mom and I did it together. Mm -hmm. So actually during my time at Apple, I made a parody to the tune of friend like me from Aladdin. And it was all about inspiring people to use the Apple pay feature. And so it was a really fun experience to collaborate with my coworker who did the directing and editing, and I conceived the project, sang, started it, oversaw post-production with him, and it was such an incredible way to bring my musical theater roots to this environment that wasn't necessarily showing up every single day, but um, was still very much alive in me, and You know, that's the whole reason I wanted to work at Apple in the first place, which I did for four years, because anytime I walked into that store, I felt like I was surrounded by like minded artists in jeans and a T-shirt who were photographers, graphic designers, actors, musicians. And I just thought, these are my people outside of a theater. (laughs) These are my people in a new in a new house, in a new community.
0: I I totally get that. And I think that uh, speaking for me, and you know, I'm pretty educated, I got lots of paper knowledge, but I still find that music is such a great way to educate others and myself. Remembering things with a song or learning about things with a song is fantastic. I mean, just ask the people who did Schoolhouse Rock. You know, uh, that's That's just incredible. I still can talk to you about conjunctions. (laughs) and how a law becomes a bill or a bill becomes a law um all that stuff good stuff um that is great can people access that somehow do you have a way that that people can find you
1: well this one is technically this video is technically apple confidential but a a lot of my other parody videos are on my youtube channel if you type in my name Mara Jill Herman you'll find my channel and we did one to the tune of it might as well be spring but my brother played guitar so it was more of an acoustic style quite a COVID spring (laughs) and then um, yeah we it's interesting what you said about Schoolhouse Rock because I find that these videos that I you know, for the Apple Pay one, I did write the lyrics, and I find that—excuse me—I find that it seems that the fusion of my arts and tech identities are getting closer and closer together. Instead of trying to uh, divorce them or, or you know, not let them feed each other, I'm finding that they make so much sense when I let them coexist because there's this educator calling that I have. So through my videos, I'm exploring the infotainment or edutainment space. And my tone tends to be Schoolhouse Rock meets Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, if you know that sitcom. Uh,
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: That just seems to be the brand that I'm leaning into as far as where my sense of humor lives, but also my love of helping people, connecting people to each other and and great ideas. And and so what you said before about my calm at the Genius Bar is a really nice compliment because I hope that I can keep creating music videos that um, will help people and also be a fun outlet for me. And it also leads into one of the two businesses I've been developing that I'd love to talk to you about.
0: We've we've got a little bit of time.
1: Perfect. Okay.
0: Let's do it.
1: Great. Well, for a couple of years, I've been developing a, a business called Technotherapy NYC. And this was born out of um, my desire to take the parts of the Apple store I love the most, but customize it. To what rang true for me, which was the one on one experience of really helping people maximize the use of their Apple products, but really uh, decrease their frustrations or anxieties because the tech talk was overwhelming and try to distill it down into easy analogies and do some hand holding because sometimes coming into the store was too frenetic there's a dog barking over there there's a baby or there's someone trying to steal something and the alarms are going off and then the zen of learning is gone so my goal was to always bring the experience of the one-to-one training to someone's home office neutral space and then during covid i transitioned to virtual for safety reasons And now I'm considering emerging in the group training space, so uh, these videos hopefully will excite people to learn about their tech in a fun new way and then perhaps lead them to my tech offerings and, and make them want to either take a one to one training session or a group lesson.
0: Look, I, I do not represent you. I don't get anything out of this, but I know people would get a lot of benefit out of it.
1: Right. Years ago,
0: when I first became an Apple guy, uh-huh. um, I transitioned from the IBM clone thing to Apple. I stumbled upon a bunch of videos that Apple had produced that were literally like a minute long. Yeah. And I they don't apply anymore because the operating system is different and all the things are different. But right. that's where I learned how to make something a PDF. Like... You Absolutely. know, what I'm t- And that's where I learned Absolutely. how to do certain things that are now second nature to me so that, okay. you know, I'm one of the older, uh, whatever, I'm 59, but I'm very tech, tech savvy. Okay. And because of those videos, it took away a lot of my internal conversation. So I don't have to burst through anything. I can immediately access my own tech brilliance. What it sounds like to me is that you're, besides showing people stuff, once you give them some confidence, that's so, you know, have it, knowing how to make a PDF, for example, that's very valuable. But becoming the kind of person who feels confident in front of technology,
2: mm-hmm. that's
0: epic. That's exponentially yeah, that's brilliant. Good. And to be able to have someone do it who is kind, passionate, compassionate, <laughs>
2: you know,
0: especially in a world where like, no one has patience for people anymore.
2: Right.
0: I mean, just all New York certainly. Feels that way. There's a lot of compassion here. Don't get me wrong. But I think everybody's patience pills have worn off. And so to be able yeah. to give that, that's, a, that's fantastic. So they can access you. Do they go to technotherapy? Like, how do they find out about you?
1: Oh, yeah, the website is technotherapynyc.com.
0: That's awesome. And are they just going to get you? You don't have a giant staff. It's like they will get you.
1: Right. Right now it's me. And I'm considering taking on a business partner because I realized during the pandemic that I I do so much better with a team, with collaborators. And uh, that is such a motivator for me. So uh, I'm excited to keep talking about it and, and putting myself in think tanks and professional development where I can attract the right type of business partner. And um, I know I was on the receiving end of that type of call last summer, which is a segue to the other uh, company I'm I'm building at the moment. So my friend Elissa Nicole Trust is artistic director of Hava Theater Company. And uh, Can you say
0: that again? What theater company?
1: Oh, oh, yeah. So, Elissa Nicole Trust developed Ahava Theater Company. And her mission is to bring great Jewish plays to life and uh, be a dedicated space for all sects of Judaism. And so, when she reached out to me last summer, she was really looking to build up an educational program for Ahava. And so I was really delighted that she asked me to go on this journey with her because I've spent a lot of years teaching children, teaching in the arts, teaching at the Apple store. And it only made sense that I would want to blend my Jewish identity with uh, theatrical education. So we have been in, um, I guess last fall, we were in development phase and produced a Hanukkah music video called The Lights. And that was a collaboration with community members and the Broadway Boys. And that was a delightful project. And then that led to where we are now, which is experimenting with virtual offerings due to COVID, uh, where we're uh, bringing educational spaces to. Our community. So we have a lot of Passover themed offerings right now. One will be a children's book reading. Another will be Bacon Nosh, which is a baking class, and you'll learn how to make a flourless chocolate cake. And then the the one that I'm teaching is called Passover Playmaking. And this is taking place on March 25th, all on Zoom. And any listeners out there who love the musical Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, you probably know that this is a biblical story linked to Passover. So come along and join us if you want to get your go 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 Joe on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's awesome. Uh, those are just wonderful ideas, and totally, you're completely suited for those. I think also this whole Zoom. Uh, or however other people do whatever technology, but the virtual stuff at first, I think some people were allergic to it mm-hmm. know, and in fact some people still resist it. but for my from my point of view, it's been fantastic in that I don't go to court anymore, but I zoom into court when I mm-hmm. have those things. I have zoom meetings with clients. I created my podcast during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, congratulations.
0: Thank you. Um, which is a whole, I didn't want to do this podcast. I blame my wife, but it's in a good way. Um, and it it really does feed my performer thing, but I meet, I see a lot of my friends from Europe and Hong Kong, you know, Germany, France, whatever, far more than I do in real life. I used to see certain people once a year when we'd go to Costa Rica for an event together, but I see people on a weekly basis. And I don't have to travel. I mean, I'm gonna travel, but you know what? A great gift. Somebody who would think, well, I'd love to work with Marajil Herman, but I'm not going to go to New York because I live in Oklahoma City, or Mm -hmm. I live in Peoria, or I live in you know Salt Lake City, or wherever. I'm just places I've been that I can't imagine. What? But they can. They can. And that's you suddenly have a much bigger audience. And these people have a much bigger possibility. So if you're listening from one of those far away and exotic lands, now you have no excuses. And if you are, by the way, tell me, go to isthatreallylegal.com and leave me a message. I'd love to know that someone from Salt Lake City is listening to this. Uh, Absolutely.
1: You're bringing up time management and financial savings that are certain benefits of, uh, you know, of taking part in these experiences online. And of course, my preference is to teach in person. And my hope is that when the, the health of our city does return, that uh, you know, with all the COVID safe regulations, we'll get there. And so hopefully those in-person uh, offerings will, will show up in the future. And, and possibly be in addition to the online community so that we, like you said, can attract this wider audience who is not uh, in a reasonable proximity to New York City. You know,
0: I'm just thinking about people because of your uh, familiarity with uh, Apple products and being a tech maven. Um, Thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, I live near like four Apple stores I could go to easily yep. like, without breaking a sweat but yes. uh, there's places in this world or in this country shockingly they don't have access to that mm-hmm. um, so that not that you are just doing Apple things but just as an example you know and every you know, even I who feel very comfortable with things when I see a new update for my phone's iOS the operating system for my phone I get a little nervous like is this the one that when i download it it's gonna brick my phone you know make it useful no i I always check in i read reviews before i download Mm -hmm. the newest thing and then i just go for it because it's important to update your stuff i mean for security Uh reasons and all of this it's fantastic mara jill herman i'm so glad that you said yes to me i'm so glad that people will have an opportunity to meet you is there anything that I didn't cover with you that or you wanted to talk about that we didn't?
1: I would just offer the droplet that anytime your Apple product is telling you you have an update, please please back up your device before you do the update. And if you don't <laughs> know what I mean, you can message me, you can email me. <laughs> And, uh, I gave you my tech website. If you're interested in a HAVA or any educational things that I'm up to artistic collaborators, I am ready to work with you. You can find me at MaraJillHerman.com. And, uh, my handle everywhere is at MaraJillHerman.
0: Yeah. You know, It's so great to be able to see you on social media, but even better to see you on camera right now. Totally, I agree. I really stay well, be well, and um, I look forward to us possibly getting a coffee sometime in real life.
1: That would be so fun.
0: Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Really great to have you.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It was my pleasure.
0: That was Mara Herman. Am I right? Do I not have the best guests? Charming, intelligent, creative, technologically savvy. You know, you can go, um, and learn more about Mara at MaraJuleHerman.com, um, for her theatrical and creative offerings. You can go to TechnotherapyNYC.com to see if she can help you with your technological needs. Um, Just wonderful to be a friend of hers. Um, Also wonderful to put an Abe's muffin in your face. They taste great and they're allergen free. Blueberry, lemon poppy seed. They have chocolate brownies that mm, they're pretty great. That's all I can say is they're just great. Um, Do you love the muffins? Do you want to tell me about them? Do you love the show? Do you want to tell me about that? Go to isthatreallylegal.com and leave me a message or ask me a question and I will respond to you. Leave uh, messages about anything you like about the show. Rate this show. Subscribe to the show. Share the show with your friends. Come on. It's fun and it's easy. And what else are you going to do? But we're getting close, my friends. We're getting close to being done. Do you have the vaccine? Are you wearing your mask? Take care of yourself and take care of everyone around you. And we'll see you again soon. Thanks.